If you would please turn to the book of Ephesians. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 5 verses 17 through 20. Ephesians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let us understand. Let us see with our mind's eye what You're saying through Your Apostle Paul. Let us make or continue to make this text a core, ongoing reality in our lives together. For our happiness our perseverance, the fruit of the Spirit, and for the glory of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. We now come to core value number four in our series on the core values of Sovereign Grace Fellowship. Core value number four is worship through singing or Christians are a singing people. Let me just sum up in 45 seconds the first three core values to see if you can see the connection with this one. This morning, the first core value is God, who is Trinity. Meaning God, by definition, has always been eternally and infinitely and omnipotently happy and complete in His love and worship of Himself as the Father has delighted in the Son. And the Son and the Father without beginning personified that community in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then He creates for the creature to respond there's only one way to enjoy the joy that God is. He made us in order to bring us into His eternal joy. And that's why core value number three, the Word of God, the Scripture. Because it is through His revealed Word in Scripture that He has made Himself and His ways Known. The essence of worship is to see Him with our mind in the Word and to love Him whom we see. And so now, core value number four. If that's true, if God really is that good and that delightful, if He really is that enjoyable, and that praiseworthy, then it would be an unloving thing for God to not allow us to express what we feel through singing, through song, and release those praises. 
Therefore, when you open up the Bible and you open up the Psalms, all over it you see God lovingly commanding us to praise Him. It's not because He lacks anything. It is for our good. I'm here for you. Praise me. C.S. Lewis struggled over all those commands in the Scripture about God saying, Praise me. And here's where he came down. In his book, The Reflections on the Psalms, he writes, quote, But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising each other. Readers, their favorite poet. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of wines, actors, motors, countries, children, flowers, rare stamps, rare beetles. I had never noticed how the humblest and at the same time, the most balanced and capacious minds praised the most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us in regards to the most valuable what we delight to do, what indeed we cannot help doing about everything else we value. Lewis concludes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. End quote. The point is this. For God... To love us fully, He cannot be indifferent to whether we consummate our joy in Him through exalting Him, enjoying and expressing that joy in Him from the heart. Think about it. We're in the middle of the World Cup, and if your team is Brazil or Argentina, and you went to the game, it's coming up, and they said, got your ticket, sit, but we have a rule. You are not allowed to stand up. 
You are not allowed to raise your arms. You are not allowed to raise your voice when your team scores at the end of the game to go to the finals. That would be a miserable experience for true fans who cared about the outcome of the game. Now, if you don't like soccer and you don't have a team, it wouldn't matter that much. And that's the way a lot of people go to church. It doesn't matter that much. But for those whom God is turning on the light, as Paul says, to shine the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ into their hearts, that right there is the reason Christians are a singing people. Because there are realities like God, like hell, like salvation, like all who Jesus is that are too great to just merely be thought about or spoken about. There are realities that are so huge and penetrating and moving and overwhelming and mind-boggling that they beg to be sung. They itch to be expressed from the emotive side in order to consummate that joy. See, the affection of a husband to a wife, it's not content to just be analyzed, described, but it must consummate its pleasure and its joy by expression. You're beautiful. I love you. As Lewis says, it's not in order to compliment and make her feel good. It's the joy that just has to express itself. And neither is God to only be analyzed only be described in teaching and in hearing and in listening, but He is to be loved and He is to be treasured and He is to be rejoiced in. As human beings, He created us to think and to feel, which means we're not just to think accurately, but we are to feel correspondingly to those glorious truths that we are thinking about from the Scripture. We are to feel the appropriate, appropriate intensity and depth of emotion that our mind is seeing in the truth of Scripture. See, if we think accurately, we've got our theology straight, which is really important, but we don't feel anything about the depth of what we think, that's not worship. Or if we feel all kinds of emotions in our Christian culture of music or something, but it's not matched with accurate thinking about God, about the Gospel, about repentance, about grace, then to that extent we lessen the glory of God in her singing. Now last week we saw that Jonathan Edwards from the 1700s said, and I'll quote it again, God 
is glorified not only by His glory being seen, meaning with the mind, but also by its being rejoiced in. If we get that, then we will see why music, even when we have technical problems like this morning, but why music and why singing are so important for worship in the local church community. The reason we sing is because there are depths and there are heights of affections that cannot be adequately expressed any other way. You see, there are moments with a spouse or moments with grandchildren or at a funeral or at Yosemite or at your team's ball game they just beg what do I do with this? I mean to just talk and describe it feels stupid ever stood in the middle of the Grand Canyon? People can ruin it at those moments by talking. Sometimes to just sit quiet all feels right. Other times to express the emotion towards a grandchild with the pain and the feeling at a funeral. I wanted to shout at your game. Or at Yosemite feels right. And that's what Ephesians 5, verses 17 to 20 is about. So let's look at it. I want you to first notice in verses 18 and 19 that singing, singing in the Christian community is to be an expression of of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Start with verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. But, be filled with the Spirit singing. So Paul makes it clear in this text that singing here flows out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he's talking about is not natural. It's supernatural. God, the Holy Spirit, as we have seen, who is the personification of the delight that God has in God eternally. The very joy of God personified in the Spirit comes into and fills the bride of Christ so that they are moved to sing. That's worship. Through singing. See, Singing about biblical truths in Christian settings is not necessarily worship. 
It's not necessarily pleasing to God. God said through Amos, the prophet, in chapter 5 of Amos, verses 23 and 24, Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, there is religious singing that is offensive to God. It's singing that is not from the overflow of the Holy Spirit in them bearing fruit in repentance and joy in Him. So first we see that this singing, if it's worship in the church, it is generated by God, the Holy Spirit in us. So the big question is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, here's one way to answer it. If you have taken seriously what has been said over the last five weeks in this series on the core values, here, here's my first answer. What I said in the last five weeks is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, but if you haven't heard those, it's okay. Verse 18 also in our text hints at it. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It's just you know, excessive indulgence in, in the fleshly, sensual pleasures of life. Okay. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, getting drunk means coming under the influence and being moved by alcohol. It overcomes you. It causes you to feel and to act in certain ways. And so being filled with the Spirit means coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that one feels and acts in certain ways. And in this text, that way is singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That's being filled with the Spirit. But what do we do? How do we act? I want to be filled with the Spirit. What kinds of things do we do? Now, in the context here, it is, don't drink wine. So, using Paul's metaphor, he means drink of the Spirit. But how do we do that? This is what I think the answer is. You drink of His Word. You listen. You imbibe. You absorb the Word of God. You see the truth of the Gospel with your mind and then you dive in and receive it and enjoy it with your heart. To drink of the Spirit at its core is listening to, reading, meditating on and absorbing the Holy Spirit's Word. This is what we've seen the last couple of weeks in 2 Timothy. All Scripture is God 
breathed. To drink of the Spirit is to receive the Spirit's Word through Scripture. See, to be filled with the Spirit in the New Testament is almost synonymous with walking by faith. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. You can't separate it from Paul's lines of walk by faith. Makes sense when you think about what Paul tells us. For faith comes from hearing. And hearing of the Word of Christ. The Scripture coming into our minds and our hearts grabbing hold of it is producing faith or walk by that trusting God which is walking by the Spirit. Let me just for a moment give you a taste of how Paul talks this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12-14, to 14, he says, Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So here he is as an apostle talking about their job. The Holy Spirit working in and through them. We've received the Spirit who is from God so that we may know something. There's the intellect. I mean, again, as I said last week, we in the church world so often want to separate the intellect from the Spirit, from the heart, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things, Paul says, we also speak. And he uses language there. When he speaks, we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. This is what Paul thinks being guided by the Spirit means. He goes on to say, but the unspiritual man, for Paul that means the unborn again, Person, the unregenerated person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Which things? The context is clear. What Paul has been teaching. The Word of God. A person without the Spirit will reject what the Spirit says through the prophets and the apostles. Or Paul says in Romans 8, 4-5, we, we do not walk or live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, here it is, you want to know how to walk by the Spirit as opposed to the flesh? You must use your minds. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Or to the Galatians, Paul writes in chapter 3, Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law, your legalism? Or does he do it by the hearing of the Word of God? The hearing with a heart of faith. 
Or one more. Paul writes to the Colossians in 3.16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And now watch this. Watch how Paul connects this to what we're talking about. Richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what it is to be filled with the Spirit, singing and adoring Him as a community according to Paul. And that's why if you look at our text in Ephesians 5, in verse 17, Paul says, understand something. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's in the book. Understand it. And that's what flows in to his singing and being filled with the Spirit. See, a filling with the Holy Spirit that is not the fullness of truth. That is, the God-breathed truth that the Holy Spirit gave to us is a questionable filling of the Spirit at best. That's the first thing Paul shows us, that this singing is to be Holy Spirit-driven. Secondly, it is to be from the heart. See verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I just think the opposite of that has to be my mouth spouts song. There's words that are coming out and it's utterly disconnected from what I feel. From what I desire. From my affections. See, you remember Jesus in Matthew 15 said to people who sung and spoke and taught and read Bible a lot, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So what we have seen over the first five weeks of this series on the, on the core values and what we see in this text of Ephesians 5, is that the essence of worship is not external acts in themselves. But at its core, it's the inner experience of the heart toward God. And music and singing, they're just one means of expressing true worship. But the inner dynamic that is going on at the core of worship is a pursuing our joy and our delight in God through Jesus Christ our Savior. 
And therefore, in this church, and it ought to be in all churches, in little homes, in shacks, or big buildings, when Christians are together and the music begins, there's a goal. And it's not just what we do at this time of the service. The goal is to pursue our joy, our contentment in God, in His truth, in Jesus Christ. So now, let me, let me put a big parenthesis here. What I just said does not mean that it's authentic worship only when we are red hot for Jesus. And it just flows out of our hearts so easily. That's not what I'm saying. You know, back in 1993, when I first read John Piper's book, Desiring God, ever since that time, he has been utterly helpful to me in my personal life from what? He said in the chapter on worship in that book, as he divides worship up into three stages, and I'm going to commend them to you, they go like this. There is for us Christians that ultimate stage. You, you come to church and the music plays and you easily enter in to the words. Your affections in your heart are matching what you're seeing. And it just you feel so good. You feel close to the Father. You feel close to your Savior, Jesus. Don't stop the music. Let it keep coming. That's the ultimate stage of worship. It's as if you're drinking the, the water. You're playing in the stream of God's goodness to you while you're singing. Then there's a second stage. That's when your heart longs for what you experienced last week in the first stage, but you're not experiencing it. You know, last week you got up early on Sunday and you had time and you didn't rush and you had time with the Word and prayer and things started out really well and you got here and you just flowed right into the river of worship and delight. Then this Sunday, it's like, I feel like God's a long way away and my heart's crusty and, and hard. In other words, we are in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for You, O oh God, for the living God. I thirst for You. See, the week before in the ultimate stage, you weren't thirsty and you were filled and you were drinking and enjoying. Now you know I'm not drinking and enjoying. But as the deer knows, the water brook is up there three quarters of a mile. And I know it's 103 degrees and the tongue of the deer is swelling and so is the tongue of our hearts. But the deer pants for and moves toward the water brook. That moving toward the water brook is worship. Because it's saying, that's what I need. And it honors the water. That's the second stage. And then if you've been a Christian for more than a month, there's a third stage. And you know it. It's when you feel numb to God. You barely have any longing 
for God, for Christ, for His truth, for singing. And yet, there's a little seed of sadness in you. Sadness that you don't feel anything for God. When we take that sadness, that sorrow, that remorse, I hate that, and offer it to God as, as music plays, as Bibles being read, as sermons are being preached, you offer it to God. That offering, that movement is saying, God, I know You are the only answer. And it bugs me that I don't feel it now. That attitude right there is worship. It is saying, He is the ultimate. He is the ultimate answer to my true happiness. See, I think this is why there's this least twofold purpose for music in the church. Worship, music, singing in the church and throughout the Bible. One is how music, this glorious gift of God, used in the secular world, used in the church world, music is this universal thing that has a beauty that reaches the heart almost like nothing else does as fast as it does. And therefore, the, the first thing that music is so important for us is that it gives and helps give rise to appropriate affections to the truth that we read and preach and think and teach. And the second thing is that it is that glorious medium for expressing our praise and adoration that we are feeling about what we are thinking. So when the music plays in the congregation, congregational worship is time and again and week after week the time to take advantage of turning all the stresses, worries, pains, and distractions of life into true, gospel, eternal perspective. To sing biblical Gospel truths with melody helps connect our minds to our hearts. It helps connect our thoughts to our feelings. And so Paul here not only tells us that singing in the church is to be Holy Spirit driven and from the heart, but also it is to be directed to the Lord. Verse 19. Singing and making melody to the Lord. There it is. To the Lord with your heart. It is a pouring out of the heart personally and intimately with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To, to pour out the, the pain, the worry, the confusion, the joy, the truths that cover everything I'm experiencing this week in life. Oh, what a great salvation. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that, that saved 
the wretch the likes of me. And you think again that you're so caught up in the mundane of the world. Oh my goodness, I once was lost. I was lost. I was doomed. The wrath of God hung over me. But now I have been found. I was blind. I see. When those biblical thoughts from Newton hit the heart, how can we help but be moved? And if you put melody with it, how much more helpful is it to reach our hearts? Now this text, it says we can sing to one another. And to the Lord. I just think it's got to be something like we come together and we say, We exalt. Here we go. We're looking up. To you. But evidently we can sing also. We exalt Him. There's something about that body life. So these three things that we have seen that Paul mentions here, In Ephesians 5, they ought to have a huge impact on how we conceive of worship music in the church. It is to be Spirit-driven. It is to be heart-felt. And it is to be directed to the Lord. And therefore, the basic attitude of worship in the church is not performance. But it's desperateness to get God to long for a strong sense. I use that word on purpose. A sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That's what it's about. It's not about entertainment. Give me four people that can beat a trash can in rhythm and I'll take it over 14 violins of unregenerate people. And therefore, corporate worship in the church is a coming together. It's coming together around the Word of God, around preaching, around singing, and therefore it is not to be superficial. It's not to be filled with silliness in those times or lightheartedness because worship comes from roots that go very deep into our souls. So deep with the One who made us and as believers who saved us. And it is an addressing directly to Him that it's those times like that that just beg to have some point in the week where we set aside a serious Joy seeking. We are desperate to seek serious times of joy because we are riddled with world-numbing things all week long. And in all of our singing, I want you to see something else in the text. As we sing slow, Penetrating, deep lyrics like Amazing Grace, thinking about hell that we're delivered from, or John Newton, a captain of a slave ship, can never get over the horrific life he spent before coming 
to Christ except Christ saved him. In all of our singing, there is to be this undergirding reality that we are to trust God who is sovereign in everything. It's right there in verse 20. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question. And it's a good question and every believer ought to ask it. Exegesis or good Bible reading, you ask it. Okay, Paul, okay, you could win. I can see people talking. I can see you talking that way and say, give them thanks for everything. Don't forget to be thankful for all the good things in your life. And we never should be forget that. This is why it's a good thing to pray when you're eating food. Thank you. It's amazing. You give all good things. My children are healthy today. And thank God. But is that what Paul means here? By the Greek word, huper, for all things. Is he saying something just in the midst of all things, just thank God for His salvation? I don't think so. No, no, no. The, The main reason is we're talking about Paul. This is the apostle who tells us he had some very unwelcome circumstances in his life. And he says, I kept begging God, please take it away. And he says, God said, no, because my grace is going to be developed through you and cause you to be stronger in my grace for my purposes in this very brief life. And therefore, Paul said, I will therefore gladly receive it in that context. Okay, this is the guy who's saying this. So I have to think that in some way Paul knows we have stuff in our life that yes, we ought to hate, not like it. Don't say it's my good friend, cancer. Oh, my good friend, this mental problem, just go on and on. That's not it. It's, I, I do dislike that in and of itself, and you ought to continue. But he is saying here, in your singing, church, giving thanks to God always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's crazy. Unless you have a deep biblical understanding of God's sovereign goodness for you in the eternal perspective. Because life is too blasted painful to really believe that verse and do it. Marriages implode cancers strike children go wayward dreams go unfulfilled jobs get lost 
But it would be a very unwise thing to just say, God cannot and is not ultimately in control of all things. I cannot believe that. I will not believe that He can't be like that and I won't sing it. The wise thing is to believe it. Giving thanks for all things. See, that for all things is deep because it avoids superficial Christian singing. It avoids light-hearted. Praise God anyhow in someone's pain and tears. See, this is why. Here's the struggle. Look, Paul said, Weep, cry with those who cry, with those who weep. He said, abhor what is evil. And I want to hate evil and never stop hating evil. I I want to hate murder and abortion and Islamic terrorism and slander and backbiting, and gossip. I want to hate all the effects of a fallen world, like cancer, and do away with them. And it's the ultimate death. I want to hate death. And we should. And we should fight against those things in the Christian life. But don't Ever be a person, therefore, who responds to another's pain with, oh well, God is sovereign. There's a way in which I said that, but I hope you caught. We are to be a people who weep over others' pain and loss. We are to hate the effects of a fallen world, a sinful world. We don't have answers to everything that's happening like Job's friends had answers. We want to be a people who allow real feelings. Real feelings of hurt and loss and anger and struggle even with God. And even in the context of worship. Having said that, but underneath all of that is to be the confidence that God in His infinite hidden wisdom is somehow at work for our good as believers. And through it all, we can say to a wise and merciful, loving Abba, Father, thank You. Because Romans 8.28 is true. For God, You cause all things to work together for the good of those who love You and You've called me to love You. To those who are called according to your purposes. 
For you did not spare your own son, but you delivered him up for us all. So how in the world would you not freely give to us all things? That's the big picture. As you read what Paul says may happen to Christians next in this temporal world. It's horrific. But he's out for our good. See, if we can't put those two things together, to hate evil, to not take lightly pain, to feel pain, it's not a call to deny reality, it is to hate it, and at the same time, somehow, you know what you're doing. And at the end of the day, again, I fall upon your sovereign hands. You will work this. For my good. It is that kind of believing that creates a type of singing in the local church that is all struck as a community when they sing to the Lord. And I want you to notice in our text. That body life, say that term again, body life, community, is the underlying assumption in the New Testament for every believer. Paul here in this text is not speaking to individuals. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus. And he's saying, do this together. See verse 19? Addressing one another. Addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Being with like-minded Christ worshipers is God's grace. Because seeing, not alone, but together addressing one another intensifies our emotions God. It communicates our witness for God in the world and it unifies the body and the life of that community. And Paul says, singing is to have various forms. Psalms. Hymns. Spiritual songs. I just want to quote the New Testament scholar Ralph Martin for a moment on those three terms. He writes, It is hard to draw any hard and fast distinction between these terms. And modern scholars are agreed that the various terms are used loosely to cover the various forms of musical composition. Psalms here may refer to Christian odes little poetic lyrics. Christian odes patterned on the Old Testament Psalter. Hymns would be longer compositions and there is evidence that some actual specimens or hymns 
are found in the New Testament, which they are in Paul's pen. Very well, just like we, so much of us, we know Amazing Grace. They had hymns and they come out like in Philippians. And spiritual songs refer to snatches of spontaneous praise which the inspiring Spirit placed on the lips of enraptured worshipers. As 1 Corinthians 14.15 implies, I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding in my mind. God is infinitely various and Every human is unique and therefore varied. And cultures and musical cultures are varied. There are various ways and modes of song, worship and rhythm and melody to express true worship to God. From very simple to complex theological hymns. So, core value... Number four in Sovereign Grace Fellowship is that when we come together on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights to worship, the pursuit of our joy in God is not optional. It is the essence of worship. And to the degree that we get together to read to preach, to think, to sing for any other purpose ultimately than our joy in God, to that extent, true worship dies. We should come together in song to get God. Like the deer who's panting for the water brook. We're moving towards God. I mean, we are saying, God... Move on us. You're sovereign. Move in our midst. We want Your presence to overcome our hearts and bring repentance, bring joy, bring faith, bring works of love that will flow out of this, this day. It is that disposition that keeps the music and the songs Godward. Christ centered, true worship. There is nothing that keeps God at the center of a community than the people being convinced of the biblical truth that the essence of worship is the pursuit of our deep, heartfelt satisfaction in Him in response to His glorious promises culminated and sealed and purchased by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that pursuit is why churches are churches. The Bride of Christ coming together to Him to get now, as I close and pray, we will be singing. And if you are a baptized believer in Jesus, you're welcome to partake of the bread and of the cup as they're passed out. We will hold them and pray over them together. Father, would You cause each and every one of us who are believers and those who aren't, oh, let them hear these words this morning and by Your Spirit, come to faith.
faith will cause us all the more to be focused not only on Sundays and Wednesdays, but in our daily times of why we're so desperate for Your Word, meditation, prayer, crying out and singing to You. For we need Your daily filling Holy Spirit that we may walk by faith and not by sight. That may we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh to the glory of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.